Welcome to Off Season, Pretty Little Grown Men. I'm David Greenwald. Uh, and I'm Dom Sinicola. Uh And I guess we're going to talk about Dancing with the Stars today because Mona, a.k.a. Janelle Parrish in real life, uh, is competing on this 19th cycle of the ABC show. Uh, yes, I have never watched the show before. I don't think you have either, Dave. I, I saw one, you know, I had to, um, in my oh, earlier, right. in my back in my, my Gossip Girl or gossip, uh, gossip grown man days. I, I used to work at accesshollywood.com for a couple of years. And one day, the uh, woman who live blogged Dancing with the Stars uh, was on vacation. Mm. Uh, so I filled in and live blogged and did not enjoy it whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> I'm also not a person who knows anything about dance, has no. like, I'm not an appreciator of it. Um, you know, I'm a music fan. I'm not so much an interpretive dance, ballroom dance person. Well, do you do you like to dance when you go out? Do you do you enjoy dancing? I like moving. I wouldn't call what I do dancing because that's very rude to the nice people who work very hard on shows <laughs> like Dancing with the Stars. But yeah, I you know I like to go to the show and and move around and be, you know, right. Just making... let let your body do its work. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that the show is intended for people who don't appreciate dance, who know nothing about dance, like you and me. Sure. I mean, and I think that while watching it, we had very strong opinions about it, uh, even though we both admitted that we knew nothing. It's true. And I think the stress of having to live blog this pretty intense reality competition that I'd never seen before probably made me enjoy it a lot less. Right. Um, I really liked watching the the premiere episode um, mm-hmm. of this season uh, because we got through for Janelle mm-hmm. and Carlton from um, uh, Fresh Prince from Fresh was amazing. He <laughs> yeah. was so good. And so, yeah, I, I had really strong opinions about all the performers. I was like, that's good. That's bad. And then the judges just often disagreed with us. Yeah. Well, well first of all, I think that we should call this right now, which is that uh, uh, Carlton is probably going to win. I think I'm sorry. I'm eating a muffin. Um, Wait, who's that muffin by? Is that going to be our week's sponsor? <laughs> this is a banana banana bread oh. muffin made by my wife. Oh, Hillary, can you sponsor us this week? Bananas. Bananas are sponsoring the <laughs> podcast this week. Brought to you by Bananas. Um, and whole wheat, whole wheat um, I love bananas. flour. I'm sorry. We're very rude. Podcast etiquette. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was really amazing. And I guess he has a background. Mm-hmm. Um as a child, a child Broadway person was that his his background or was that someone else? Yeah. Janelle. Well, Janelle. So yeah, Janelle so, had so a we learned that Janelle uh, was in uh, Les Mis, uh, yes. a touring company for Les Mis. But um, I, Alfonso Ribeiro, that's his name. Yeah, he uh, he. I remember when he was on Fresh Prince. You know, he was always this like amazing dancer on Fresh Prince because he would be this nerd and he'd break out of his nerd shell. Um, and I think that he. Danced with Michael Jackson at one point. That's amazing. And so he so he knows how to moonwalk and he knows how to dance like Michael Jackson. And in fact, I think that the picture that they showed during the broadcast was of his like younger days dressed as Michael Jackson. He had the the red leather coat and everything. Um, it's but, it's a, for someone who I haven't thought about in ten fifteen years. He was he was astounding. You know that he was in a he was in a sitcom uh, with LL Cool J for a long time in the house. Oh. So it's not like he hasn't been working, you know. Sure. But I do think that the, the appeal of a show like this is uh, is um, remembering uh, the fact that a lot of these people are performers, and so you're kind of 
you're always like, oh, well, I'm actually pretty impressed by how they are. But then it's, of course, seeing the people that you don't expect to do well um, actually, like, attempt to go out and dance. Hence uh, me really wanting to see Tavis Smiley go out and dance because, um, I don't know, he's fucking Tavis Smiley. And, uh, you know, he's... Uh, known well for touring with Cornell West about uh, poverty in the African-American community and uh, not exactly being someone who who I believe, and I don't know if I'm kind of, um, my opinion is sort of being changed by the show, not necessarily in a bad way, I don't want to like be negative about it, but um, I never envisioned him as someone who would pander to something like this, and I feel like in a certain extent he is pandering. He's also going to get paid... So much money <laughs> to be on this show. I think... He looks older than 50, too. He kept saying, like, oh, I'm turning 50, so I'm going to do this because I'm turning 50. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, I can tell you, I worked at Access when we had, I think, Nancy O'Dell, who was one of the hosts of Access at the time, um, no longer with the show, but she was on it. And, you know, I don't want to throw out numbers because I may misremember, but... You know, even just to be on the show for the first episode, the longer you're on it, the more you get paid. But mm-hmm. even just to be on it, you were getting a lot of money. So everyone on that show, you know, they're not just there for the PR. It's, you know, they're getting, you know, could be a couple years paycheck for some of those some of those folks. Oh, my God. that Well, that makes sense. And it makes sense why someone like Tommy Chong would do that. And why uh, there was actually uh, in possibly the... Actually, you know what? I was going to say least, least comfortable, but you know, they the people seemed comfortable that while they were doing it, which was uh, Cheech Marin sitting in a um, mock-up of a lowrider that was uh, on hydraulics, bouncing through the whole song while while Chong danced. Yeah, driven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with which which I am now looking at the list. It's uh, Tommy Chong with Peta Murgatroyd. Is that a character from Hunger Games? <laughs> yeah, Peter Murgatroyd. That's a pretty good name. Well, the thing that yeah, the thing partner. I love, the thing I, I really enjoy about the show is watching the pros go out there, and obviously they're all great. And then you have their partners trying to keep up, and some of them, you know, uh, like Mister Ribeiro, mm-hmm. uh, looked great out there. He looked mm-hmm. like yeah, he's right in there, you know. Uh, and Janelle as well, I thought looked really great. Oh yeah, sure. And, you know, was performing in the sense of, like, doing the hands and the legs and the whole thing, but also, like, smiling and presenting, like, here's the emotion of this. Mm -hmm. Here's me as, like, a Broadway performer. Um, And it was so funny to see her in that role versus, like, the very wounded or damaged or crazy role of uh of mona mm-hmm. um so it's like oh there here's and maybe this is a way of her kind of showing i have some range i can do other things than be like a psychopathic teenager right and it does you know ostensibly it seems like she is you know she's ready to move on uh she's gonna have some um flashback roles she's not completely done with pretty little liars uh but i'm still you know i've actually been thinking with, about this a lot which is that i don't um, I'm having a real moral uh, conflict in accepting the fact that Mona is dead. I don't. I really can't admit that. I it's, need. I need like real. I need the show to end and Mona to never come back in order for me to accept that she's really dead. Well, you know, we had a hard. I think the longer we go from the episode, the more it seems like okay, they actually did kill this character. 
and it's not like a weird pivot or like some kind of secret switcheroo. You know, I oh, think she's yeah. going to be. I think she actually is dead, and that's really <laughs> that's really terrible because she was such an intricate, interesting character, and really one of the few characters on the show who seemed to like be ahead of the game and kind of know what was going on and not be like a total idiot. You know, which many of many of our heroes are. On which, the, which, on, exactly, all, exactly. It seems she seems to have too much premeditated to not have this as some sort of. Uh, to, not, to to the show to, for the show to just like take care of her like that because she is the first major character to die, the first main character, first sure. multi season character to die. Fair enough. And this isn't The Walking Dead. This isn't The Wire where main characters die. Right. You know, it's this is Pretty Little Liars, which is I I don't I don't think the show is the show is only starting to be emotionally capable of death to this extent to that extent to, to find out only um, only now emotionally capable of finality to that extent yeah i mean i think certainly it's the most devastating and interesting death since since allison's mm-hmm. really yeah which we now know you know she wasn't dead and she's right there she's right there in the pilot you know <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you if you look hard enough right um so yeah it's it's too bad that they knocked her out and you know it's a, it's a storyline where they could have done a few more episodes of sort of redeeming her and presenting her as more of, you know, a sympathetic figure who really was trying to protect herself. We could have maybe in a previous episodes had another scene or two of her and just, you know, seen her be less conniving and more like, you know, maybe just a little more terrified just seeing a little bit more humanity because I felt like they tried to squeeze a lot of that emotional work into the finale. Yeah. Um, you know, not to shift crazy gears or anything, but I just watched the last episode of The Killing, uh-huh. um, and that I felt the same way, where it's a show that never never rushed anything, and I think that anybody who's watched that show can, can say that, because it's a very slow show. Um, uh, I've never, I, don't, I can't even remember watching any show besides maybe like The Sopranos or even like Boardwalk Empire, where there's so many scenes of just staring at a blank face for so long. <laughs> right. Where it they really want you to uh, invest yourself, almost like earn earn the um, the character development uh, in these characters along with the, with these characters. But the last episode of The Killing is very... It feels jarring because you have, uh, you know, I don't know, 50 minutes of wrapping up the season-long murder as well as wrapping up this other plot that's been happening for two seasons. And then it's just sort of like, okay, so you have these really emotionally damaged characters, but we want to give you some sort of some sort of closure to it. And so there's this sort of weird addendum at the end that packs all of this emotional resolution into 10 minutes. And, it, and even though the, the few scenes that these characters have together... Um, that are relatively well done because actually the last episode is directed by Jonathan Demi, which is which I thought was like a really pleasant surprise. But um, it's really strange because it feels like like the the slow the slow pace uh, is almost um, forced, where it's just sort of like uh, so this is this is this is how you you earn emotional intensity by just staring at a person for a long time. Isn't that correct? 
Like, isn't right. that like that's that's right? That's that's what drama is about, right? Just staring at someone who's staring at at something else making, for a long period of time. Making you be patient. Exactly, like patience. It's almost like patience automatically guarantees some sort of emotional arc. Um, well, it sort of signifies you know, maturity mm-hmm. and it signifies like we're not going to MTV edit our way through this or have explosions or, you know, right. Jam it through. And, that, know, and we're showing you this very serious adult thing. Right. And that's, and that's kind of why, and that's something that impresses me about pretty little liars is that it has, despite how uh, breakneck fast, a lot of its um, uh, plot developments are it in, it really draws a lot of things out so that you can invest in the characters. Um, and that's why I think I, I agree that it's just Mona's death seemed extremely sudden. It's, it almost seemed like she was afraid, but we never really got to spend much time with her being afraid. Right. Well, and she, you know, I mean, it's in the scene where she turns turns the, the nerd squad against Allison by taping her. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's the element, I mean, we've talked about this where how much of it is performative, how much of it is authentic. And I think that confrontation between Mona and Allison is a perfect illustration because both of them are scared, but both of them are trying to present, a, they're trying to act out this certain scenario that will benefit them either in the moment or later. Yeah. You know, um, so I th- I think, you know, there, that was a good, that was a good scene and that was a good sort of way of letting us know, okay, Mona's taking steps and she's doing these things for a reason. Uh, and she was genuinely scared of Allison in that moment, even if she had the plan to later present herself as a sympathetic person. Right. And I guess that in the end, if, if she truly is dead, then in the end, she was a sympathetic, good character. Sure. Um, well, I think it just, you know, it escalates because she was the one character who was like a real rival to Allison um after spencer and spencer is not on par with mona although mona's tried to you know try she was the one who mona tried to recruit Mm -hmm. so she's going to be the person who's going to have to i think step up in the wake of mona's death but killing off mona who was the farthest ahead in solving the puzzle that's a big blow yeah um and that shows that the liars you know maybe are in the worst point they've ever been because now they don't have this opposing force now they're really at the mercy of whoever's trying to put Spencer in jail and manipulate them and do do whatever horrible thing's going to happen in the next half season. You don't think that's Allison? I do think it's Allison. Yeah. But I don't think that's the end of the story. Right. Allison is perhaps being um, not necessarily manipulated, but uh, given the resources that she needs by a higher power. Sure. I mean, I think there's a larger game in place... And whether that person of resources is CC or is, uh, you know, Melissa or whoever it ends up being, you know, I, yeah, I mean, there's so many threads, you know, I think there's big chunks of the story that we just have not seen yet. And it's so difficult to theorize, you know, sorry, folks at home, Um, (laughs) but it is so difficult to theorize because clearly the show over five seasons has still left big portions of the narrative blank. It has lied to us. It has given us Allison as this horrible, unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. And we thought we were learning everything at the end of season four and uh, the beginning of the season. But no, 
Not at all. It was all bullshit. And that's what this half season has been about so far, is the liars realizing that Allison has been a liar to them the whole time. Right, right. The liar was inside all of us. <laughs> that, that's true. The liar is inside of all of us. Um, but to come back to Janelle, she scored 29 out of 40 in her first dance. Did great. She did pretty good. I yeah. think she's going to be very competitive. I, I think she has a good shot at winning. Uh, I'm interested to, to follow along a little bit and see how she does. So uh, who are some other favorites from your episode? From the episode? Um, I think I think Carlton from Fresh Prince I'm really excited mm-hmm. about. Um, those were really the two I thought I thought were the best. Um, I do think that the the Olympian uh, who screwed Mr. Q and then gave excuses for missing your Q mm-hmm. and got voted off, well... Lolo Jones. No excuses on the dance floor, girl. Yeah, and that, that's really uncomfortable. It's You know what's really funny about uh, shows like this, like reality competitions, is that um, you're... You have these people who are legitimately uh, not supposed to be professionals at this, and so they're supposed to train, and they're supposed to go through this really intensive process, and then, you know, just go up on stage and just sort of do what they can, and, you know, they're given this, like, basically just a big handicap, you know, um, uh, just like, yeah, we know you're not professionals, but it looks like you're having fun, and you were, guess, I, you know, you're on beat, I guess. But Yeah, I mean, all um, the ratings, that's the thing, all the ratings are totally relative. It's right. totally like, well, you know, you're 65 or you're whatever it is. Eh, good job. Good enough. Right. And it's supposed to be a competition, but it's also not supposed to be a competition. It's not like American Idol. It's not like The Voice where people's careers are built on this. Right. This is, it's it's just, just for fun. It's for fun. And I'm sure that there's some sort of, char- I, I, maybe there's some sort of charity aspect to it. But um, she she became, this is Lola Jones that we're talking about who got, who got voted off. She became so incredibly defensive that it almost seemed like everyone involved just became really uncomfortable uh, because it's almost like she was breaking this like weird, I don't even know if you call it the fourth wall, but she was, uh, I might as well say An unspoken rule. Yeah, about like, about about reality shows of this, of this uh, caliber where it's just like, tone it down, you're getting a little too competitive for this competitive reality show. Well, that's the thing. She responded to it like an athlete. Doing, <laughs> yeah. You know, she responded to it as if she was giving a giving an, a sideline interview yeah. after the meet mm-hmm. and saying, you know, I went out there and I gave it my best but didn't go my way tonight and blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's not what, you know, people want to see somebody go up there and, and smile and make a joke mm-hmm. and be like a Hollywood person. That's yeah. what this show is all about, is the fish-out-of-water aspect to it. So when you get someone who's actually an athlete, who's treating it like, oh, I screwed up, and oh, I missed my shot, and da-da-da. It was who, like, supposed to be kind this of way, like, but it wasn't this way, and she just like, and they're just like, we don't care, lady. Like, we don't really give a shit that your text message thing didn't work out. Right. It was just like, why should I, it's just like, well, you know, why don't you just smile and, and laugh it off and be like, oh, I'll do better next time. Yeah. You know, like, sorry. like uh, So it's funny because you're totally right. Like, she did not play the game of the show, which is not to be good at this necessarily, mm-hmm. but to be charming and to be likable and to get mm-hmm. people to vote for you. It's just, a, you know, it's a popularity contest. Well, she already had, you know, the sort of the deck stacked against her when she went into the competition and automatically started talking about the fact that she... Uh, and, and this is such a... And, and I'm... This is kind of like a this weird Christian fundamentalist thing where you're just like you have to make it known to everybody that you're uncomfortable with 
physical intimacy. And so you're just kind of like, I'm not, I'm the kind of person who doesn't have sex until marriage. So this, this dance competition is going to be really, really uncomfortable for me. Right, which now makes it uncomfortable for everybody else watching. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, we were talking about this while we were watching the show. It's like, it's a sexy show. It's, you know, mm -hmm. two, two people getting close to each other, making these intimate motions. The judges are very much like, yeah, let's root on the sexiness of this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very much like playing out, playing that against this very safe environment of, of dancing in a big room where everyone is watching you. Yeah. You know, it's like a very safe place for a lot for pent up desire to kind of be explored in a way. Well, because it's and she yeah. she's just short circuiting that whole thing and being like, I kind of don't want to make this what you expect it to be. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's actually a good point because there's nothing there's nothing really cerebral about this show because you know it, it's funny because you have someone like Tavis Smiley uh, who is this you know, known, known for being a cerebral personality. And during his interview, he tries to introduce this whole idea, or he kept saying this thing like, you know, it's not you, it's something about like, you're not, it's, it's, it's not the sum, S-O-M-E, it's about the sum, S-U-M. And he said this like three or four times. Because no one was fucking getting it. Right. And also no one fucking cared. Yeah, it's like, wait, <laughs> I thought I felt like I was watching a Sesame Street episode. <laughs> I was like, what, what are you trying to explain to us right now? I thought you were dancing. Like, right. It got very weird. Because this is a show about pure physicality. And you know that when the, you know that like when the judges are trying to explain uh, their critiques, that they're not going to say anything that's particularly, uh, um, I don't know, plangent. They're not going to say anything that's going to make much sense because they're not using because there's a disconnect between words and physicality. They can see and they can understand and they can feel how someone moves, but they have trouble verbalizing it. And that became really uh, obvious most in the judge, uh, what's his name, Bruno, the, who could not fucking sit still through the whole show, through two hours of the show, had to stand up with every fucking word that he said, where you're just like, but dude, that's his whole, that's bro, his sit whole, down. That's his whole shtick. I mean, you know, I've just seen literally one other episode of it. But that's, <laughs> his, that's his whole shtick, is that he's like, oh, I'm the guy who's really like a firecracker, you know, and I'm really... Whee! I'm, I'm the most lively person. He's like mm. the most lively personality on the show versus, you know, uh, the old, like, serious... Uh, you know, more technical guy right. who plays more of like the Simon Cowell figure mm. on the show. But yeah, you know, I, I like these kinds of shows. I really, you know, uh, Hillary, my wife, who's been on the show as you, as you all have heard, um, you know, we watched a lot of project runway and, you know, I really hate American Idol because I think it's just, the music is bad. You know, you rarely get anyone interesting on it. And when you do, you know, a lot of times that person doesn't win. I mean, it's a show where you have, like, basically this sort of uh, white Heartland rocker guy who wins the show the last four or five years, you know, and it's become a very uh, boring show because mm -hmm. there's no diversity, there's no exploration of what music can be. Um, so Idol, I just don't enjoy because I feel like people who are out there trying to make good music or don't need to go be on a TV show, whereas something like this... It's so silly, or something like Project Runway, you know, you can look at what they're doing and they're going to come out of it with real careers and they're good at it. Like, there's no, like, you don't put anyone on Project Runway to be a joke. Everyone there is good. Oh, like Master they're, Chef. 
Master Chef's a great show. Sure, and I've never seen that either. I yeah. see. I don't like the cooking shows because it's like you can't eat it. Whereas <laughs> it is with, kind of torturous. With the dancing show or with run, with runway, like okay, I can see this item, I can judge it, I can tell if it looks good, mm. and I can watch these dancers. I can see if they if their footwork looks okay. Yeah. You know, I'm not an expert, but you can you have the pro right next to them as comparison. That's true. So I like I like shows where you know you can judge it, but the stakes are not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I guess on runway the stakes are pretty high, um, but that I just like because I feel like I can. The work is good, and I'm judging something that's good, and I'm judging people who are really competitive. Whereas Idol, I don't think that's the. It's not the same situation. I think you know to a certain extent we're talking about um, something, a, a competition done by talented people, but there's some sort of equalizer going on where we feel like we can have an opinion about it, even though we have no. A uh, real stake or expertise in the in what's going on. Sure, you well, know? and I guess you know what Idol and Runway have in common is these people are performing or uh, creating something that is supposed to be presented to us, the consumer. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have a pretty active stake in being like, yes, I like that. Um, and I don't know if that's the case as much on Dancing with the Stars, just because. They're not selling us this dance, but you still have the enjoyment of watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, there have been a ton of these dance shows in the last ten years that have been super successful. Yeah. Um, so I guess there is, you know, this immense market and interest in it. And if someone out there is a really big dance fan and can explain it to me, you know, maybe it's because I just I didn't do like uh, ballet for five years when I was a when I was a kid. Mm. You know, and maybe that's the appeal for people. Well, but you know, but there's a but you, there's a lot you can identify with, and I and to go back to like Master Chef, I think that what's really fascinating about the show is that you have these people who are incredibly skilled, uh, who have been doing this for a long time, who know a wide range of techniques, but you're talking about you you can actually watch them prepare these things, and it's so it's almost like uh, um, I don't know it's almost like listening to like food radio where it's just like, it's, it, these are these very populist things, and so you feel like you can have an opinion about them, even if maybe you shouldn't or can't. Well, yeah, you don't have to be a snob or, or an expert because it's right. just very, like, everyday, identifiable things. And I think, you know, it's, it's smart of Dancing with the Stars to bring in people of all ages and of all skill levels and have some people who obviously are super talented who are probably going to win, mm-hmm. you know, but also have it relate to the everyman who can watch it and be like, oh, maybe I could do that. Right. You know, yeah. I'm not thinking that. I'm happy to be on my couch. But, <laughs> but someone in America is, is, you know, watching Cheech and Chong up there and saying, oh, well. He's, got, he's yeah. got decent lines. Yeah, sure. I could have good lines. We, we sort of learned that it's uh, all about uh, uh, the lines, your body's lines. Yeah, whatever, um, whatever that means. You want to have your arms out and your legs out, and you want to be creating these, these uh, dramatic arcs, I guess. Symmetry. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, because we were very surprised by a number of the, uh, the, the judges' um, opinions. It was sort of like, that was... That was the most fun I had all night. Six. <laughs> right. Right. Well, there's also like the weird disconnect between like them trying to tell this performer like, hey, re- really good job. You'll keep getting better. Uh, this is episode one. We're not going to give you a 10. Yeah. You know, like you can't give anybody 
you can't tell anybody the first night, like, yeah, you're perfect. You have no room to improve. <laughs> let's let's not have the show go on. We're done. Yeah. New season. Season 20. <laughs> so I, I wonder how long we're going to follow this show. I think that uh, for the purpose of this podcast, we'll follow until uh, Janelle gets kicked off. But I do think that she has a lot of promise. I think it's probably going to be a while before she gets kicked off. Yeah, I, I think I'd like to see her stick around until the... Uh, the Halloween episode of Pretty Little Liars. I think I think she'll I think she'll make it till then. I would make that bet. Yeah. Uh, and um, the Pretty Little Liars creator uh, Marlene King says we will learn some secrets in the Halloween special. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. We're we're counting down the days. I'm excited. It's almost fall. Mm-hmm. I had a pumpkin spice latte today. Oh, you did. And you know what? It's delicious. And I. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on my I'm working on my cholesterol and stuff, and so I shouldn't really be eating fancy fall spice goods. But uh, I've you never know. had a pumpkin spice. It's so it's everything it's that it's hyped up to be. I mean, you know, it's a latte with sugar and allspice and cinnamon and whatever else you put in a pumpkin spice latte. The one that I get every year and I always get burned by is the eggnog latte because I mm. love eggnog, but it's just a horrible thing to try to integrate into a coffee drink. Yeah. You know I mean, maybe some bourbon would be okay in the eggnog, but not eggnog and coffee. No, that sounds disgusting. You know, it's great, though, and uh, McDonald's, uh, McDonald's, I guess, popularized this, but there is a fast food chain here in Portland called uh, Burgerville. Yes. And they have incredible shakes, and they do a great eggnog shake. Oh. Is it better than the Jack in the Box eggnog shake? I don't know. Because that's okay. really good. Oh. Um... Uh, this episode of Pretty Little Liars is brought to you by Burgerville. <laughs> um, we we would lo- you know we say this every week, but we would love it if Burgerville or um, Starbucks or anyone would like to come in and sponsor our podcast, and mm-hmm. we will tell everyone about your wonderful products for a for a small fee. Uh, so check that out if you are an advertiser. Um, Burgerville does have you know what Burger Burgerville should do a pumpkin spice shake. That'd be the shit. It would be. And I think, you know, this this feels like the season of peak pumpkin spice, and maybe it's just because everyone on Twitter is making fun of it. But, like, I said today on Twitter, like, we're already out of pumpkin spice jokes. <laughs> like, I've seen, like, five different articles making fun of pumpkin spice, and I was like, it's still summer. It's right. not even actually fall yet. Like, what are we going to joke Why about? Why do people make fun of it if it's so good? Why would people make fun of it? I think because people, there's become this stereotype, like, literally in the last three weeks where everyone was like, pumpkin spice lattes are for basic bitches. And, you know, pretty much for like, you know, for 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 basic, quote unquote, basic white girls who mm. love Starbucks and they can't wait for pumpkin spice latte season. And, you know, it's like offensive and, and silly and ridiculous. Um, but then there's already been like the articles that have owned that stereotype and the articles that have backlashed against it. And then there's like the weird loop of that happening. So to where you can't tell if something's making fun of it anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anyway, I had one, I'm a, I'm a grown man and I thought it was delicious. So, you know what? You're not a basic bitch. I think people should just like what they like. And if that involves, you know, lovely fall spices, then that's, you know, good for them. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, what was what was so great at Starbucks this summer? You know, shaken iced tea. I'm sorry. I am happy. It that is a thing. Oh yeah. Oh really? Oh. You can get well now. You can get Tivana. Now we're advertising for Tivana on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, you can now get shaken, uh, not stirred, uh, iced iced tea beverages at Star at Starbucks. But that's like the height of the summer market. There's nothing good you can get at Starbucks in the summer. Fall is when you get all the cool stuff. Right. So I don't think we should be 
you know, I I, th I don't think we should be so quick to judge all the delicious fall flavors. Wait, at the wait, local wait, wait. So there's shop. A, there's a there's a real difference between shaken and stirred iced tea. Well, I don't think stirred iced tea is a thing. But they deliberately call it shaken iced tea. And I think all like that means like is... A, like a martini? I've never seen them do any shaking. Um, I see them pour some ice in and they pour some tea in from the fridge <laughs> and then they hand it to me and it's $2. So I don't, I don't actually know if there's a real shaking component or if the shaking happens, you know, at 5 in the morning before we get there. Mm -hmm. I, I really can't say. But that's, that's the name on the label. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm only... Only now, and this is after a really hot summer where I just do not deal well in the heat. No, where I either. still where I still insist on getting like scalding hot coffee. Oh, uh, because that's just it, my brain just can't cope with things like with coffee that's not hot. But I have finally started uh, drinking some cold brew, um, and uh, this comes as a recommendation from uh, my friend Zippy, who I used to work with. Uh, cellar door on uh, what is that 11th here in Portland they make great cold brew so this episode of Pretty Little Liars is brought to you by <laughs> Cellar Doors Cold Brew I you know I will say and then we should probably wrap it up but I, <laughs> I will say I went to Stumptown and there they have their cold brew everywhere in the little milk carton and I wanted to try one because I thought well it's got milk and sugar it's probably mm -hmm. delicious yeah. and you know I can have a coffee it won't kill me because I'm not a big coffee drinker uh, followers of the podcast may know that it makes me unbelievably anxious. So I don't drink caffeine often. Um, so I drank this cold brew and I'm sitting there at the Ace Hotel on my laptop just doing some writing. Mm -hmm. And about 30 minutes later, I felt like I was going to fall out of my chair. Like, <laughs> I haven't been that caffeinated, you know, ever. And it was in this milk carton and I was like, it's not going to, there's milk in oh, there. Yeah. How bad can it be? Mm -hmm. But I guess it's super concentrated. So be warned. What kind of milk is it? Is it like 2%? Oh, I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but there's some sugar, you know, it's like a, mm -hmm. it's like a cold latte type beverage. It's, it's very tasty. Um, but if you are sensitive to caffeine, do not drink one. You will just have a rough afternoon. Sometimes, is, sometimes is like that though. It's hard to drink sometimes without like feeling like you're going to jump out of your skin. Yeah. I mean, it takes years. I'm, I'm a huge caffeine drinker. And like I can drink, I could drink a, three cups of coffee right now and still fall asleep. But that's astounding. <laughs> that's probably not a good thing. I, I wouldn't fall asleep until like three days from now. <laughs> I would, I would be up till Sunday. <laughs> well, maybe, uh, um, at, yeah, I think maybe if um, if uh, I were to actually actually drink three cups of coffee right now, I might. Uh, whistling a different tune but uh, <laughs> well you could take one of those power naps that i read about on the life hacking blogs where you drink a cup of coffee you nap for half an hour and then you wake up and you're supercharged because the coffee takes like half an hour to kick in right and you've gotten this like wonderful nap and so you wake up without any of the days the hazy quality that you might have after trying to do that. That's assuming that you can just fall asleep instantly. Well, right. This, you know, all of these, all of these life sort of, hacks. <laughs> yeah, all of these life hacking methods assume that, number one, you can go take a nap during your work day. Uh, <laughs> you you know, just and, sort of bow out. <laughs> yeah, and number, number two, that you can sleep precisely 25 to 30 minutes. Right. You know, in the middle of the day. And I think, you know, my, my brother tried to do this uh, polyphasic sleep Thing. Have you heard about this? No. Where you, you try to break your sleep cycle up 
I guess before we had electricity, people used to have two sleep periods at night. Oh yeah, it was like a like a almost like a siesta between like a wake siesta. Between, yeah. yeah, you you would you know Ben Franklin would wake up and put on a, a candle and do some reading for an hour or two and then go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And that was just like a standard thing. And then suddenly, somehow we decided to switch to this eight hour situation, mm-hmm. which was not actually throughout human history yeah. how people have ever slept. So we're all sleeping wrong, right. which is weird. Uh, but polyphasic sleep is like you try to break your sleep down to like four or five, I think four or five sessions a day and you set it up to where you go right into like your deep sleep and you skip the extra stuff that you get during eight hour session mm. because you can't be deep, you can't be in REM sleep for eight, eight straight hours. Right. You go through cycles. Yeah. So the idea of polyphasic sleep is you can sleep a lot less uh, and get right into the good part and just get in and get out. But then you have to be like, on a very regimented schedule. Right. Um, so my brother tried it and I think lasted like a couple days of trying to do it. And it takes a really long time, obviously, to warp your whole sleeping schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if you like skip a session or something, you know, oh, if you Yeah, then you're just like destroyed. You're just <laughs> so it's not something that like ordinary humans who have to deal with working lives and daylight hours can actually do. But I'm I'm very intrigued by it. when did he he didn't do this while he was like here, did he? No, no. He my my brother came to visit with my with my family a few weeks ago. But no, he's you know he has been uh, living at home, uh, living the dream after after graduating school, and mm-hmm. he gave it a shot as one of his little experiments. Did he, did he, like did he reap any sort of benefit from it? He learned that it was basically impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, allegedly there are people who have done it or have gotten some some benefit of it. Uh, and I certainly would love to be able to do some napping during the day. But, you know, at, at this point, I'm going on, like, decades of sleep deprivation. Oh, so yeah. any any extra hours I can work in, you know. Do you think that it's even possible to catch up on sleep? I know people use that phrase, like, oh, this week I'm going to catch up on some sleep. I think it's fucking impossible. Well, I think, you know, and this is not a very scientific opinion, but just from my, my reading on the subject, I think, yes, you can catch up to an extent, mm-hmm. but it's bad because you can only catch up so much you can't catch up on like all the sleep that you've lost ever of course you're still gonna have this huge sleep debt um and then your your sleep schedule is like extremely precise like if you are going to bed at 10 one night midnight one night one in the morning and then you try to try to go to bed at 10 again you know you know how hard it is Mm -hmm. to try and fall asleep and be on the cycle so sleeping in late on the weekend isn't necessarily great because then you have a harder time sleeping you know, later yeah. that night. So yeah, it's just it's just a bad situation. You know, go to bed early. Right. Try and try and get your sleep, kids. Don't 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 stock up that sleep debt. Sleep debt, our new shoegaze band. We're, this we're, episode of Pretty Little Liars is brought to you by the new shoegaze band called Sleep Debt. Sponsored sponsored by Sleep Debt, who, yeah. which you can you can take out a loan at any time. Yeah, that's seven point five on pitchfork. <laughs> Secret best new music. <laughs> seven point seven point five reviews. Uh, well, thank you for being with us again on Pretty Little Grown Men. Uh, if you haven't, please take a second, go on iTunes, give us a star rating. Uh, give us a little review. It really helps us get the word out. Uh, we will be back, I guess, next week talking about more, more. Pretty Little Liars stuff and reality right. shows and whatever comes to mind. Yeah, we're going to probably talk more about who we think on Dancing with the Stars are fucking. 
I think that that's kind of the thing that that we're... that is a as we get deeper into the show, much as Pretty Little Liars has become more adult. I think as we get deeper into the <laughs> season of Dancing with the Stars, it will become really clear who is going off the dance floor to, you know, have these these partnerships. Yeah, and you know, before we go, uh, real quick, um, uh, Janelle's partner Valentine. Uh, I think we read is engaged to Winnie Cooper from the Wonder Years. Yes, um, and him and Janelle were they were getting pretty physical with each other. Not just on like a dance partner kind of level, but they were. There's a lot of uh, kissing going on. There, this is a show. I was astounded to see how many like forehead kisses and cheek kisses were happening mm-hmm. on this show in episode one. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you all really like each other. There's a lot of like touchy-feely action going on on this show, which is another interesting subplot that you don't get necessarily yeah. in other reality shows, whereas this one, it is very much not even subtext, but text, like, these people are probably going to hook up mm-hmm. at so. some point. So, you know, we'll keep you in, informed on all the uh, the drama, which we know Mona Mona really loves. J-N-V, sitting in a tree. D-A-N-C-I-N-G. That was a real struggle. <laughs> that was hard to spell the word dancing. Yeah, we, we will come back and we'll be more caffeinated and we will be able to pronounce, we will be able to deliver English words, deliver English words to you <laughs> in the next episode of Pretty Little Grown Men. But until then, have a wonderful week and we will see you soon. And act normal, bitches. Act normal. Bitches. Bitches. Don't my secret. What I must is